0: Well, good morning. I can tell you that we did not have a Black Friday sale run on toilet paper at Sam's, but these boxes are for our Glenview pantry that we started last year. And so uh, once a month, uh, we've got a group that goes to Glenview Elementary and we help serve a fresh food pantry to about uh, some weeks for up to 40 families uh, that come through there. And so What we started last December is putting together a holiday food box for uh, each of these families. And so that's what these boxes are today. And so what we ask is that if you would volunteer to take a box, there is a shopping list inside the box. And probably, I don't know, $20 maybe worth of items that would go in this box. If you would volunteer to take one of those and fill that box with those items and then bring it back to us by the 16th, then we'll get those distributed before school is out or it breaks for Christmas break. We're also going to be doing gift cards like we did last year. And so you can contribute uh, towards uh, Walmart gift cards for these families also where they can go buy um, other items and, and maybe some meats and things to add to this box. But we ask that as tempting as it is to, in the bounty of your creativity to hold to the list in the box so we can keep them uniform. So all the boxes are the same. And so uh, beyond that, we'll do the gift cards. But you can feel free to, de- if you want to wrap it, put bows on it, decorate it. They're not plain boxes like last year, but I'm sure you can be creative in that, get the kids involved. And so uh, feel free to do that also. But in t- we want them back in two weeks. And if you take a box, we're counting on each one of these boxes. And so if you do take a box, please bring the box back. And if you can't, let me know. And that's okay. But we just want to make sure that we've got everybody accounted for when we do our distribution. So uh, have that back in a couple of weeks. We've got some... Our summer's kids are going to be up here after services to help get the boxes down for you so you don't have to climb up there and get them. So uh, just uh, let me know if you have any questions. Let like Claudia Curtis know if you have any questions. And uh, we appreciate your participation and helping us. This. this was a big deal for them last year. We did pantry this last week. And uh, it, it's, it's great to see the same faces each month to have conversations and to, to learn and encourage these people in, in their walk and their, their struggles and their lives and their their uh, striving to, to find jobs and keep jobs and take care of their kids and single-parent households and different situations. So, you know, if you would like to go with us, we go the last Thursday of each month. We got a little different for December, so we're going to go back in uh, another week. We're going in, in the second week this month because of the break. But if you'd like to go, see, see me, see Claude. Claudia, see Bill Ed, uh, see Janet, Cindy, Melba, a lot of people you can ask about what it's like to go and and be part of the pantry. And Anne, please ask Anne. I do not want to forget her, so make sure you ask her. So if if you grew up in North Little Rock like I did, you probably remember Schuster's Furniture. How many remember Schuster's Furniture? Schuster's Furniture, man, this guy flooded the television with all these commercials. He was a fixture in North Little Rock through all my growing up years. And I'm sure he had good furniture at one time. But what I remember him for and will always remember him for is his going out of business sales. You guys remember this? Schuster's going out of business sales. Schuster's going out of business sale. All the commercials just flooded it. And the reason I remember them so well is because they ran for probably a decade. No, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Schuster's was going out of business for years. It was the most drawn-out, slow, agonizing death of a business you could ever imagine. Schuster's going out of business. New Year's, we're going out of business. Valentine's Day, we're going out of business. Fourth of July, hey, we're going out of business. Christmas, we're going out of business. So for, it was over and over again. Every major holiday, he found a way to promote this. And Schuster might have been terrible at going out of business. But what he was good at and great at was moving inventory. He sold a lot of stuff going out of business for all those years. Because in business, you've got to move the old inventory out so you can make room for new stuff. You've got to keep things moving and changing and refreshing. Auto dealers know this, and we're getting inundated on the radios. And if you guys are watching local television, you see the commercials now about all this year-end inventory closeout. We've got to move the old models out so we can bring the new models in. We've got to make room for the new stuff. They've got to get rid of everything that's no longer profitable so that what is profitable can take its place. Man, what if we as Christians treated our lives with that kind of urgency? What if we treated life that way? What if we examined ourselves and said, everything must go that's no longer profitable? to my Christian living, my Christian growth, so that what is profitable can come in. How much more profitable would we be if we looked at our bitterness? Bitterness that we're holding on to. And we said, no, you you got to go because you're taking up space where my joy can be and should be. What if I looked at my misery and I said, no, you can't stay because you're taking up space where my purpose could be. Depression, you can't stay here because joy is going to take your place. See, it's a mindset That we must have. You've got to make room and everything must go. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22, You were taught to leave your old self. This means you must stop living the evil way you lived before. That old self gets worse and worse because people are fooled by the evil they want to do. You must be made new in your hearts and in your thinking. But that person who was made to be like God, truly good and pleasing to him. And I don't know about you, but it seems to me that God finds a way in my life and situations and scenarios forces me in a situation where I must put what is no longer profitable on sale. I got to clean it out of my life so that it can be stripped away and make room for what is worthy and what is profitable, what does build up. And grow me more into Christ. And sometimes I feel like Schuster's. (laughs) I I feel like I need to put a sign. I need to start running some advertisements because I keep trying to get rid of the same inventory over and over and over again. And that's the struggle in this flesh. That's the struggle of humanity. When we place our faith in Jesus and when we are baptized into Christ, there is no miraculous makeover that suddenly and permanently changes the way we think or speak or act. See, God brings His new inventory in, His Spirit, to dwell in us, but we have to keep moving boxes out. We've got to keep clearing out. We have the capacity and the strength through His Spirit to allow this change to happen. But we've got to keep identifying and packing up and moving out the old stuff so His Spirit can fill us even more and our lives begin to take on a new look. And so in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, we read, don't change yourselves to be like the people of this world, but let God change you inside with a new way of thinking. Then you will be able to understand and accept what God wants for you. You will be able to know what is good and pleasing to him and what is perfect. And the grammar here, be changed, is passive. It's passive grammar, meaning the change happens to us as we renew our thinking. And so the implication is that it is God who is the agent of this change. He's the change agent. So we have to think differently about people and about circumstances in this world differently. And so we've got to close out the inventory of negativity and this doomsday thinking that, that permeates our society and that everyone's against me. And we have to start seeing this life in relationship to eternal life. And so it makes no sense logically or biblically To see this present life as just a necessary evil. Just life is a necessary evil. Sometimes I catch myself having the the same attitude as when I get on an elevator. And I'm trying to get to the top floor. I'm trying to get up to my floor. and, And it seems that someone is getting off on every single floor. And so it takes forever to get to the top floor. All I want to do is get up top. And so I've got some business to take care of, and all I want to do is get where I need to be to take care of that business. But in the meantime, all these other people are in the way of my destination, because apparently, they got life going on too. And so it's hard to understand sometimes. And perhaps what I really need is to realize that more often, as a Christian, that life is about the journey and not the destination. Think this through: Scripture after scripture. Red letters, black letters are about how to have and bring joy on this elevator ride, <laughs> in this life. When we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into His death. We put a going out of business sign on the old way of living. And so we begin to make room for some new inventory that the Spirit of God is bringing into our lives. And so Scripture likens this to fruit. Fruit that's produced. We read this earlier, Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit that the Spirit produces in a person's life... Is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these kinds of things. And those who belong to Christ have crucified their sinful self. They have given up their old selfish feelings and the evil things they wanted to do. We get our new life from the Spirit, so we should follow the Spirit. See, when we are in Christ and we have the Spirit of Christ in us, then we've got to move that old inventory out, that old way of living out, so that this new way of living in the Spirit and by the Spirit will come to the forefront. Think about the Apostle Peter. When, when you think about him, what do you think about? You think about Peter the fisherman? You Think about Peter the guy who walked on water, you know, the water walker? You think about Peter the, the, the Pentecost preacher? Not Pentecostal preacher, the Pentecost preacher, the one who gave the great sermon on the day of Pentecost, before Peter preached that, that good news, this, this message of Jesus on the day of Pentecost, he came face to face with the darkness of sin that was in his own heart. And so he realized just how much old inventory was stored away in the corners of his heart. And Peter left everything he knew and followed Jesus, right? He left his, left his livelihood, he left his family, and he followed Jesus on this path. And he was connected to hope and to faith that Jesus brought into his life. And so Peter witnessed the signs and the wonders. And then all of a sudden, what he knew so well, what seemed so familiar to him now seems so unfamiliar. And this change occurs and he's no longer the person he used to be or the person that he thought that he was. And maybe you can remember a, a, a time in your life, a moment in your life when, when you thought, you know, I used to be so full of faith. I used to be so sure and certain. I used to be so connected through my faith. Faith for my marriage or faith for my children or faith for that this dream. My purpose was going to reveal itself and I'm going to change the world because of it. And now I'm just lucky to get from day to day to day. And I used to have faith. And I believe I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But for somehow, some reason now, I'm disconnected. I feel disconnected. So Peter's hope was snatched right out of his heart in the Garden of Gethsemane under the moonlight. You ever had hope just snatched right out of your heart? I thought things would be one way, but with one phone call, with one incident, and all of a sudden now they're... Faith feels stripped away. Everything I hoped for, everything I believed in, is now in question. I never thought I would be the one signing these papers. never thought I would be the one that's struggling financially. I never thought I would be the last one. never thought I wouldn't know what to do. Whatever picture Peter had painted in his mind of how things were going to be in is following Jesus, now it just looks like watercolor painting that's been left out in the rain. And this changes how you see the world. It changes how you engage with those around you, how you interact with people around you. And so there there are people in this room today who haven't felt like themselves in a very long time. And perhaps if we retraced our steps, we would find a moment in which that changed. And when I close my eyes at night, I can remember the person I used to be, the, the person I'm supposed to be. Everything that has no value for what God wants me to do through my life must go. It's got to go. And Peter's in this fluid area between having been called the rock by Jesus and and, and wanting a rock to crawl under, to hide under now. Everything must go so that everything can grow. And the anchor point of this series that we just completed is Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Therefore, In light of Christ, in light of His sacrifice, in light of the life that we get through Him. therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we must get rid of every weight and the sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race set out for us, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set out for Him, He endured the cross, disregarding its shame and has taken His seat at the right hand of the throne of God. And so, what can happen is we can think that our help comes from a job, not recognizing that God is our provider. And we can think that our completeness is tied to someone or some object. And so, when that person then proves human, (laughs) as everyone always does, then our faith proves unanchored. Or when that object proves fragile, our faith proves flimsy. Psalm 146 says, Do not trust in princes. Do not trust in human beings who cannot deliver. Their life's breath departs. They return to the ground. On that day, their plans die. How blessed is the one whose helper is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. And in order for our dependence on God to increase, we've got to get rid of some inventory in our lives that's taking that space. Everything must go. See, I cannot grow in Christ. And remain the same person I used to be. You cannot grow that way. Stinking thinking is not spiritual fertilizer. It's just wet compost. And it's nasty. And so Peter was eating with Jesus what would be that last supper. And and they're they're talking. And Jesus tells the disciples, look, there's about to come a time when all of you are going to fall away from me. You're all going to desert me. You're all going to leave me and reject me. And I'm going to be killed but I'm going to rise again. And in Matthew 26 and verse 33, Peter says, if they, hey, if they all fall away, these losers here we're running with, if they all fall away, I will never fall away. Not me, Lord. And I believe Peter meant this with all of his heart. Because the writing is emphatic. I will never, no matter what. Not me. And Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth. On this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny Me three times. And Peter said to Him, Even if I must die with you, I will never deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Th- yeah, what, yeah, what He said. We will never deny you. And it's telling, I think, that Jesus doesn't respond to their battle cry. <laughs> Lord, we will stand with you. And then Scripture just moves on. And perhaps Jesus had one of those half smiles, you know, when, when somebody says something to you and, and, and you know they're wrong, but they don't know it yet. And you can only imagine in your mind how they're going to take it when they realize they're wrong. You know that. Hmm, I can only imagine that's what Jesus would have done. They had some inventory. Way back in the back room that's taken up space. Perhaps a little pride. Perhaps even a little doubt. And in it's place where you don't realize you have it until an event or a situation or a stress or a person trips over it in your life. And Jesus saw this in Peter. And Jesus knew it had to move out so more Jesus could move in. And there's this conflict that exists when we harbor or hide sin in our life. This old inventory. There's a conflict that exists when we crowd the Spirit of God Who wants to dwell within us. And a mark of spiritual maturity, by the way, is the movement from toleration to resistance. Spiritual maturity is moving from tolerating sin to resisting sin. That's the Spirit's movement in our lives. Moving us from that point to that point. And so the Corinthian church, was in a state of tolerance. You read Corinthians, you get that real quick. When it came to sin and disunity, they were in a tolerant state. And so they had some old inventory. They had some unprofitable inventory that had to be moved out. And Paul writes him in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and verse 2, he says, I fed you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready yet. In fact, you are still not ready, for you are still influenced by the flesh. You still got some old inventory in there. Some outdated, useless stuff. For since there is still jealousy and dissension among you, are you not influenced by the flesh and behaving like unregenerate people? See, they had been baptized into Christ. They, they underwent a complete inventory closeout. Or at least it would seem, at least it would be expected. Yet they were living and they were acting as if no change had happened at all. And sometimes there are situations that you find yourself in. That reveals the old inventory that, that that you didn't even realize you were storing up. See, there are people, there are people in your life, if they haven't come yet, they will, who will make you realize I didn't know I was crazy, but it, I'm about to reveal it. You know, there are people who can push you to that point. There's stress that will open boxes that you had stuck away in the attic of your psyche. Boxes filled with anger, self-deprecation, with with depression and harmful habits and and fear-induced responses. And no doubt, Peter opened a few of these boxes in the Garden of Gethsemane when when they seized Jesus. And while he was still speaking, while Jesus was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. And with him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent by the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now, the betrayer, Judas, had given them a sign saying, the one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. And immediately he went up to Jesus and he said, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, friend, do what you're here to do. Then they came and they took hold of Jesus and they arrested him. But one of those with Jesus, this is Peter. Grabbed his sword, drew it out, and struck the high priest's sleigh, cutting off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place, for all who take hold of the sword will die by the sword. See, last year's model, the old model, last year's design is an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But in Christ, that inventory is moved out and it's replaced with love your enemy as yourself and pray for those who persecute you. And we find Peter sitting out in the courtyard now after Jesus has been taken into the house of the high priest. Jesus is is inside being ridiculed and shamed. And maybe Peter was thinking about maybe what I might tend to be thinking about at this time and what many might tend to be thinking about. What's wrong and what's not working? How did we get to this point? And so Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A slave girl came to him and said, Hey, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it in front of them all. I don't know what you're talking about. See, when something's not working in my life, I don't necessarily want to be reminded about how it used to work. <laughs> about You know, you used to be. You used to act like, you know. I don't. I know you don't get angry with people because you are saved, you are sanctified, you are filled with the Spirit. I know you're not like me, <laughs> but it's like when you're having a disconnect with someone. And then Facebook does this. You know, you got this twist with somebody, maybe somebody very close to you, and you get on Facebook and Facebook pops up this, hey, guess what? Today, you and this person, y'all are celebrating four years of friendship on Facebook. Isn't that awesome? Why don't you send them a message and and tell them how much you appreciate being friends with them all this time? And you scroll through that as fast as you can. You're like, no, Facebook, not today. (laughs) Not today. Not going to do that today. Peter's like the guy in in the back of the room digging through boxes of outdated items to put on the end caps to arrange on the shelves. Jesus had already told them what? He said, if anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And instead of denying himself, Peter finds himself denying Jesus. And Peter, who so adamantly proclaimed to Jesus, if all these others turn away, I will never do it. Peter now finds himself back in the business. He thought he had sold out of. And it can happen. Not necessarily suddenly, but with subtlety. See, Peter's gotten on this elevator and he's just trying to get to the top. Hey, Jesus, I thought we were on a just a beeline to the top. I thought we were, we were about to take over and we're following You. And now he's just trying to get through this night. He's trying to get past this moment and get the doors open on the top floor where he can step out and everything will be alright again. Everything will be back the way I thought it was supposed to be. But see, God's going to use the ride to check some inventory. And three times, Peter is accused of being associated with Jesus. And three times. Ding! Next floor. Ding! Next floor. Three times with the chiming of the floor. Each opening of the doors. Each one more emphatically now. Peter denies knowing Jesus. Until finally, after a little while, those standing there came up to Peter and said, You really are one of them too. Even your accent gives you away. And at that he began to curse and he swore with an oath. I do not know the man. And at that moment a rooster crowed. And then Peter remembered what Jesus had said. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Now something really stood out to me here. See, they they knew Peter traveled with Jesus. Well, they'd seen him there, or seen somebody that looked like him maybe, but they knew that Peter traveled with Jesus because his accent was the same as Jesus. They were Galileans. They sounded the same. They recognized Peter, and they recognized that he knew Jesus because he sounded like Jesus. Hmm, They said, we know. We know you know Jesus because your speech gives you away. Shouldn't this be the testimony of every Christian? Shouldn't this be the accusation of every one of us in this room today? You don't have to convince me that you're a Christian because you sound like a Christian. You sound like Christ. You live your life like Jesus would live. Or you handle your finances like... Jesus would handle His finances. You work at your job like Jesus would work at your job. Or you treat other people the way Jesus treated other people. You spend time with the kinds of people that Jesus spent time with. You're the kind of spouse that Jesus would be. You're the kind of child that Jesus would be. You're the kind of parent that Jesus would be. Your speech, your life... Gives you away. And the more we make room for the Spirit of Christ in our hearts, the less we look like last year's model, and the more we look like the new and improved model. Not instantaneous, but intentional. It's intentional. Not by our own ability either, but but through the power of the Spirit that now dwells in us when we are in Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 10, But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is your life because of righteousness. Moreover, if the Spirit of the One who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, the One who raised Christ from the dead will also make your mortal bodies alive through His Spirit who lives in you. The Spirit of Christ we receive at baptism doesn't provide the promise only for a better life after death. The Spirit of Christ provides the possibility of a better life today surrounded by death. In the middle of death. The death of morality. The death of honesty. The death of loyalty. The death of security. Every annoying elevator stop provides an opportunity to clean out some inventory and for us to accept some spiritual upgrades. Life is about growth. And growth can be painful. I remember when I was... A kid. I remember growing pains. And I remember growing pains so much that it felt like my legs were in a vice. It hurt so bad. But the pain was necessary for the growth to occur. And here's the deal. Here's what made it more bearable for me. When I understood what growing pains were about, growing pains were about your body growing, then I I could start imagining, I wonder how tall I'm going to be. I wonder how strong I'm going to be. These this growing I'm doing, even though it hurts. wonder where I'm going to end up in all of this. What if in the face of adversity, instead of asking God, "God, hey God, why me? What if instead we ask God, what now? What now? What are you going to do with me? How are you going to grow me through this? And then we focus on how spiritually tall we might become. <laughs> wonder how much of a spiritual giant I'm going to become now for you, God. How spiritually strong might I become through this? And then each elevator stop becomes a time of excitement. It's a a, a renewal of our faith, a renewal of our motivation. And we stop moving inventory around and instead we open every closet and we look under every table for what inventory we need to get rid of. What do we need to clean out? Because all of this is for the purpose of conforming us, not to this world but conforming, shaping, molding us, creating us more like the Son of God. Jesus, our Savior, our brother, our guide, our author and perfecter of faith. And it would seem to me that when Peter was weeping, when he realized that he had denied Jesus, just as Jesus said, when he was weeping, I believe heaven was rejoicing. I believe it was because until we repent... Of the way that we've been thinking and the way that we've been living, there's no room for the spirit's growth in our lives, until we move out the old. There's no room for the new. So what do you need to make room for today? What is it in your life? What boxes in your life maybe that you've been keep pushing back into the corner, that you need to not just open up and unpack, but get rid of, take them to the curb. What might it be? Is it sin? Is it doubt? Is it fear? What is it? What is it holding you back from the Spirit of God growing you to be the person that God knows you can be? Truly creating in you a new heart. We're gathered here today at a perfect time and we can pray and encourage one another. If we can do that for you this morning, We want you to come. And if you're ready to put on Christ in baptism, to be forgiven of your sins, to receive the cleansing of His blood, to receive the gift of His Spirit, to guide you, equip you, encourage you, empower you to become who God has called you to become. To look forward not just to eternal life, but to life now. Living by His Spirit. Guided by His Spirit. Walking by His Spirit. If you're ready to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, Will you make that decision today? If we can help you in any way, we're going to stand down and sing a song. Will you come?